0: You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Poetry of Impact podcast. Joining us today is Marcus Whitney. Marcus is the founding partner at Jumpstart Health Investors. Marcus focuses on working in the impact space specifically to help black innovators. And I'm proud to announce that this conversation with Marcus is brought to you as part of a partnership between Poetry of Impact and Nexus. Welcome, Marcus.
0: Hey, thank you, Gino. Really happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, you are um, you are highly recommended as a Nexus member that um, that's involved in a lot and is a very special soul. And so I'm really um, and and I got a. A slice of that—the uh, first time uh, we chatted—but I really want to dive into um, where we ended that conversation, and that is, is that you know you're sort of in this middle of life moment. Um, you have two children; uh, one's about ready to go to college, one's already sort of out and about. Um, sort of take us through. Where like you're currently at in terms of sort your life process and what's and I mean what's really occupying you beyond you know your your work for the sake of work right now?
0: Yeah, so so just just uh, for the for the listeners with regard to uh, parenthood, I've actually uh, both of my kids are out the door. The the youngest is about to be a junior in college, and so for any other parents who. Uh, might have a senior in high school it, it's definitely different when they're actually like in college. Um, they're not off the payroll yet but they're not at home you know <laughs> a majority of time during the year, right? Uh, and my oldest son, he's actually a, a, a marine and he is abroad right now um, and has been for a couple of years. so uh, so you know where I am right now is I'm, I'm 45 years old. Um, I live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm uh, black. It was so you know that's that's meaningful i think for just everything yeah. that's going on in 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 the world and certainly in our country today uh, and i've enjoyed a, a reasonable amount of success as an entrepreneur um and this sort of next act of my life is is really uh professionally going to be as a venture capitalist um, i've i've been doing it for the last six plus years um but now starting to, Raise larger funds, deploy more capital, with sort of a view that I'll be doing this for the next fifteen years. Um, and I, I think the reason why that's meaningful for me is there was no point over the last fifteen or twenty years where I could have told you I would be doing X for the next fifteen years. So that might be one of the 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 biggest uh, changes for me in this season is uh, long term thinking feels more. Uh, feel it feels more natural now than it did before Um, before i i i had bigger uh, visions of, of grandeur but i could only see them happening in shorter time frames and they're, that's kind of oxymoronic <laughs> um you know big things actually take a while you, you learn that with time yeah so, so yeah so i'm i'm at this point in my life where i am experiencing several transitions but i feel like i've been mentally preparing for them and and actually looking forward to them for some time and uh i think what we were talking about in our first conversation where we were getting to know each other a little bit was uh this feeling that i have that i am shifting out of being sort of a young professional you know uh and 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 a high achiever into this early phase of, of being an elder, becoming an elder and, and, and what that, what that means. So lots to cover there. Um, Let's talk about this
1: moment where you realized that you wanted to be long on time. Um, I mean, what was it, or what is it that um, makes you feel like being long on time makes sense to you at this, at this point, whereas it did not earlier in your life?
0: Well, Uh, Because I I started having uh, kids relatively early, right? I'm 45 and my two kids are 22 and 20. Um, I am still pretty young and yet my children are done. They're launched, right? I mean, I'm still going to be there for the rest of their lives. And as long as I'm here, uh, but they're launched. And so, you know, it's like, I can see two, at least two more of those cycles, right? You know, I just lived through one and it's like, I easily have two more of those to go. And I think that, um, and on one hand it felt short and on another hand it felt very long, right? And so I, I have this sense that I have more time than I previously thought I had. And so I now want to expand to fully take up that time. Um, and then there've been little things that have happened along the way, like uh, my my youngest son and I uh, started training in in a martial art uh, called Hopkido together. It was something I wanted to do just to you know sort of have a connection with him as he was going through his teenage years. Just a, there's a natural separation that happens when children become teenagers, and so you know this was sort of my way of creating a. of a regular (laughs) check-in with him and also sort of this you know putting us on a journey at the same time we both started as white belts and we both matriculated through every belt test together until we both became black belts together um and you know it was like while you're going through it it feels like it's taking forever to get to the black belt but then you get to the black belt and you realize well you still don't know that much (laughs) um and it really didn't take that long you know and so i i think just having racked up these bodies of experiences that have taken five, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, and then realizing I've got several more of these 20-year runs, and if we're talking about five-year runs, I mean, gosh, I got, you know, I don't know, 10 more of those, right? Uh, it, just, it just makes sense to expand and take all that time, you know, not to sort of, uh, Focus so narrowly and 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 lose sight of what you know. I know now what can be accomplished if I give myself a proper amount of time to do it in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much of it you know. I'm I'm a little behind you on the parent curve. I have a three year old, and I noticed that there was a tendency. I used to be long on time pre 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 kid. But I wonder how much of it is sort of like a primal motive when you have a young family to just like, oh, my goodness, I need to provide a nest now. right? And it's like that all feels like abstract thinking to think 10 years from now. It's just like it's hand to mouth. And, um, you know, each morning, if I mean, somebody wants to watch a comedy, just come to our house uh, and to think <laughs> five years out from now is just like crazy. Um And so, and so I wonder how much of that short on time was just the reality of raising children during the early phase of life.
0: I, I I think a lot of it, and I, and I also think that it's the unknown that's attached to it. Right. Um, because there are so many important phases that you go through when you're raising children, you know, and uh, the I, I still can basically remember the three year old phase. Um, you know the, 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 the three to five year old phase all kind of blurs together into sort of a, a, a series of events that, that that sort of stand out. Um, but you know, socialization becomes a much bigger issue around that age. Yeah. Um, you, you're still doing a lot of cleaning up behind them. They're much more mobile, so safety, in, in in a different way than it was when they were a baby but safety you know just from they they have a, a greater command of their body but not so much an understanding of the laws of physics yet so <laughs> there's you know there there's there's just all sorts of things that 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 come into play and i think uh that that sense of the unknown and the constant switching and like okay i'm off of that road now now i'm on this road uh, now having been through it, I feel like even if i had to go through it again uh, and knowing the world is a very different place now than it was even 20 years when i 20 years ago when I started my journey as a parent, um, I still have an understanding of the overall process you know and I have a view into what the end product kind of looks like and and I think that would that experience would enable me to maintain that long view. Um, I think, when you're newly initiated into it, you're, you're, you're looking in short windows for sure. For sure. As, as you should be, as you should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you something that, um,
1: is more of a discovery process for me. Um, you know, as much as this, because you're, you know, I mean, here, here, here you are, you're, you know, you're extremely successful. Um, and, um, you raise two kids. And I'm really interested in, because I have a fellow African-American friend told me about how the challenges of raising young African-American kids in America. And it's like stuff that I don't have to worry about or even think about in in, in raising my son. And I think it'd really help us understand um, just like what that process is like. And I suspect that that's part of why, you know, we'll get to how you're helping black innovators, right? But there's also something seems like there's more central to your story about being an African-American male and trying to navigate, um, you know, American life. And so I'm just curious on how that translates to how you raise your children to, and then pull it all the way forward on how you're helping African-American innovators. And I'm guessing it's because you realize that there's a fair amount of Headwind that a black innovator, African American innovator, experiences that perhaps other folks don't, and so I'd really be interested. And I'm just really, I, I'm just approaching this as much as from an open-minded, uh, you know, beginner's mind as possible. But I mean, I feel like you have, would have a unique take on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, it's a great question. Um, I think if I can zoom way out. And I mean, literally, like, let's go off the planet. And let's kind of, you know, let's go, I don't know, to the moon. And let's look back at Earth, right? You know, Um, we just look like a species amongst many other species, you know, fortunate to be able to have a planet that is so sustaining of our lives, right? Um humans were, generally speaking, pretty low on the food chain uh, sort of early on in our life as a a species. Um, But over time, we learned through technology and and social structure, how to get to the top of the food chain. And, um, you know, through that process, uh, we've we've stripped away a lot of the the most important fundamental worries of survival, um, but I think that a- along that along that path there were some realities uh, around the competition to survive uh, that have sort of been muted. Um, as we've become more civilized. And I think that if you happen to be in any society where for whatever reason, uh, and it could be different reasons, okay? You know, um, demographics are certainly one reason, uh, but it could be religious belief. There are plenty of places in the world where a particular religious belief puts you at sort of the bottom rung of society. Um, you have a more truthful understanding of sort of the human dilemma overall. And uh, that can be a benefit if you're fortunate enough to deal with it at an intellectual level and not have to be at a fight or flight level for for your life constantly. So the thing about being black in America is it's not something, you know, that you can easily hide. Right. So I talked about religion, you know, um, there's certainly oppression against Jewish people, right. There's a lot of like anti-Semitism. However, because Jewish people often, you know, are white people as well. um, They can walk down the street and you wouldn't necessarily know that they are a Jewish person. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, those things that until it is known, they're, they're not going to be subjected to, right? Um, again, we're talking about America. Sure. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas in America, you know, the color of your skin is kind of like one of the big primary um, functions of where you fit in society um, and the biases that we that we have. And so, you know, if you grew up black male in America, um, you grew up with sort of this understanding of, uh, the fundamental inequities in the system. And one of the things I think we've, we've learned over the last, uh, year is that a lot of younger white people like didn't understand (laughs) these things. And, you know, to me, maybe ignorance is bliss, maybe, maybe, Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I prefer to know the truth, <laughs> you know, and I prefer to not have had to speed read a bunch of books to have a better understanding of like, what's the reality of this country I live in, <laughs> you know what I mean? And to sort of be living in this fantasy um about it. Uh I was never able to escape the truth of this, you know, of this country, it was, Sort of it's part of who i am when i walk the street when i go into any room when i you know whatever it just sort of is what it is and um you know is there a downside to it the the downside to it is a reality that has been part of human existence i, I think as long as we can record there have always been casts systems always um and so i think what I try to tell my boys is just don't lie to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, know, um, know that inequity is a thing and, uh, and has pretty much always been a thing. It's always been something we've had to work to try to solve as a society. Um, it's a real waste of energy. Um, it's a real fruitless, endeavor um, and the perpetrators of it are sad. it's just sad that this is something they have to do you know um, but it occurs all over the world and different and it shows up in different ways you know uh, one of the one of the best things I ever did was was uh, I went on a sister city trip to um, Northern Ireland to Belfast. And, uh, I got a great education, uh, while I was there in the troubles and I took the black cab tour and I got to see, you know, the peace wall. (laughs) I mean, you know, and I think a lot of black people in America would be just amazed that like white people could do this to other white people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like to that level. Right. Um, but this is just sort of this weird thing we've done as humans kind of forever you know we've found a way to other us sure based, based on something you know and this and this is and this is a truth it is a truth right and so um i guess for me it's i certainly wish it weren't true but because it is true better to know it right better to know it
1: now, how is that um, besides you sharing these insights and wisdom with your kids as they have their own experience and you sort of provide sort of a sounding board on on, on on those experiences, how is that translated into you in terms of mentoring, uh, you know, the African American entrepreneurs that you're working with and funding um, as well?
0: Yeah, so... I'm, I'm highly solution oriented. And that's one of the reasons why I like supporting black innovators. Um, because I feel like generally speaking, these are people who are solution oriented, right? Um, it's, if you're black in America, it's not that difficult to identify the problems. (laughs) Um, but to have either been fortunate through the way that you were raised and your socioeconomic s- setup and things you know either to have sort of blessed and been gifted or to have done really hard work to overcome the trauma and instead of completely focusing on the problem to be solution oriented um is just uh amazing and and that's that's where i want to spend my limited amount of time on this earth i want to spend it with solution oriented people um, just because I, I acknowledge the problem doesn't mean like I, I don't want to do nothing about it right you know I want to do something about it and I believe that there are people, um, you know of all races and all religions and all genders and and non gender and, and, and you know that that are solution oriented and and want to you know try to chip away at this sort of human dilemma that we have, uh, and so I, I want to be with I want to be with the people working on, on solutions. Um, that's just where I, 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 where I find hope. That's where I find happiness. That's where, um, especially as a parent, right. You know, especially as a parent, um, you, you, you want to do whatever you can to try to make this, this overall experience better for your kids and you know maybe your kids' kids. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really about the, the positive feedback I get from people who are trying to solve things.
1: And so can you give us some examples of um the folks that you're supporting and the things
0: that that they're trying to solve for? Well, yeah, right? so look, let me let me first provide a little bit of clarity for how I am supporting. So, so yeah. uh I so I've started a new fund uh inside of my venture platform. Jumpstart Health Investors is our eh, sort of the, the backbone of our venture business. And and we have multiple fund families and different people. Lead you you know each fund family and has sort of a specific focus. It's all health, but you know each thing has got its own little niche to it. So my new fund is called Jumpstart Nova, and it's investing in early stage innovative companies um, led by Black people. Um, So the founders are Black. They are in uh, leadership positions: CEO, COO, um, CTO. They have meaningful ownership positions in these companies they have board seats in these companies and they're they're trying to be innovative in the spaces of healthcare health and wellness you know and i think after the last year i think we all understand now where sort of health sits in the importance of of things for us all you know we 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 talk about the economy but there ain't no economy if 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 we are not healthy <laughs> right so um you know it's uh it's it's a it's a great thing to to be able to focus on such an important area of the world as health. Um, and I'm investing in those, in those founders. Uh, so now, having said like how I'm doing it more specifically, you know, some examples. You know, it's uh I'm investing in the United States. So not not all not all around the world. And that means the focus is not so much global health, but really sort of health and healthcare in, in, in the United States. Um and the founders that I'm working with, they generally uh, look three different ways. One is they are some type of clinician um, that could be a doctor, it could be a nurse, it could be a therapist, um, but there's some sort, some type of clinician that has seen something very suboptimal in the way that the healthcare industry works today. There's a lot of those things. Um, And they believe through their lived experience um, and their own belief in themselves that they can make it better. So that's kind of one category. Um, Another category is people who have worked in the healthcare industry. So these are more healthcare executives. Um, They have experience about how healthcare functions as a business and you know, they may not have the clinical expertise, but they really understand how the money moves and where all the inefficiencies are. And many times these inefficiencies and money movements have a significant impact on health outcomes. Um, And so from that perspective, they are trying to make something better. Um, And so that's sort of the second view. And the third view is is basically total outsiders. Um, You know, they're entrepreneurs. Often, they will have had some personal experience that has Push them in this direction. Uh, one of the one of the things that is uh, so great about working in healthcare is we are all users of the healthcare system. So there are no, you know, I say outsiders, but all I really mean is this person isn't a clinician or they haven't they didn't previously work in the industry. But we all are touched by the healthcare industry, um, and many people have, you know, sometimes often tragic stories. Um, usually about you know family, very close family members, a spouse, a parent, or a child. Often, um, and this has sort of completely pushed them in the in a direction of hey, I want to dedicate you know if not my life, at least the next ten years towards a business that will you know make it so that other people don't have to suffer in the same way we did. So those are kind of the three primary uh, uh, types of founders that I see. Mm-hmm. And how does tech, um, I know you have a pretty
1: extensive background in technology. How does technology intersect with those three, um, um, groups in terms of whether it's who's a clinician, healthcare executive, or just simply an outsider who's had a type of indelible healthcare experience, whether it's him or herself or a family member or a friend, I mean,
0: really fantastic question. So, uh, Really fantastic question. There are a matrix of answers I could give. So, so let me let me start with uh, probably the simplest, more straightforward answer, which is that usually the entrepreneurs or the quote unquote outsiders um, are really heavily in, uh, involving technology to solve a problem. Okay, uh, they are the least initiated into the regulatory and cultural challenges of healthcare, and so they're really trying to bring other 21st century technology modalities in to healthcare. Okay, that's generally true. But the reason why I said there are a matrix of answers is because healthcare uh, truly... I mean, I I need to think hard about another industry that has as many different types of technology advancements in it, Um, you know? In, in healthcare, your technology could be as simple and understandable as software, okay? So an electronic medical record, um, I mean, heck, a wearable device with something on your smartphone, right? Okay, that's like the technology we all mostly think of. Um, but then it could be a completely bespoke device, like a brand new device. So we're talking about mechanical and electrical engineering along with computer engineering, right? So a brand new device to be able to do something that we couldn't previously do in the clinical theater, okay? Or maybe even in terms of bringing healthcare services into the home, right? So that's another kind of level of technology. And then there's bio and life sciences, right? And we, we often, don't hear it discussed this way, but we have just seen one of the most incredible technological rollouts in the history of humanity with these mRNA vaccines. And that is a technology, right? It is a bioengineering miracle. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of technology over the next 10 years. Uh, And we're gonna see a lot of incredible breakthroughs happening because we're now starting to understand that uh, there is a whole nother level, um, not physio- not necessarily physiological or chemical, but bio and, and cellular level uh, of, of therapeutics that we can bring to try to solve some diseases that we've been stumped, at, stumped with for a very long time. And that is technology, that is tech, right? Um, and so there's a lot of technology in healthcare. <laughs> there's a lot of technology. And as you get into the clinical side of things, um, certainly they kind of span all three. Yeah. So
1: what got you into sort of the intersection? Well, one, the field of health, and then two, um, the, uh, you know, the tech of health, I mean, to some extent, or or at the intersection of capital, technology, and healthcare, like, I mean, how did that all end up uh, coming about? Were you Part of a clinician family, a healthcare executive, or were you an outsider that had the experience?
0: Uh, I was an absolute outsider. So, okay. so uh, dumb luck, but really, the 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 key uh, catalyst for me is place. It's where I live. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville is the healthcare services capital of the United States. So there are more. For profit, both public equity and publicly, uh, both private equity and publicly traded healthcare services companies. And I'm talking about with real scale, meaning, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 plus facilities around the country. There are more of those headquartered in Nashville than anywhere else in the country. Um, And there's also an incredibly strong political base um, relative to the healthcare industry based here in Nashville and also in the surrounding areas in Tennessee. And, uh, and what that has brought with it over the last 50 years that that ecosystem has been developing is a strong venture capital ecosystem. Um, now we are starting to have small cap private equity m- moving in as well. Um, and, and inevitably as more and more innovation has happened, he- healthcare, venture capital has grown significantly over the last 10 years. I mean, it's basically 10x what it was 10 years ago, okay? And uh, along with that growth, this ecosystem, because it's so rich in its experience, its knowledge, and then also its buying power and its influence, uh, has also grown to be a hub of innovation. And so the place has had almost everything to do with how I landed at the intersection of those things. I happened to have a background as a chief technology officer. I happened to want to get to the investor side of the table. Healthcare was not the focus, although I did have, like everybody else, a healthcare story, um, you know, in my family. Um, but no, it was really the place. It was the, it was when I started to sort of, I'm big on, uh, you know, You you need to, when we talk about impact, I mean, I think we're we're also sort of talking about business, you know what I mean? Like you're you're trying to gather resources, money, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, it's still business. And you need to have some level of tailwinds, um, you know, and often your environment is a big tailwind. Uh, And I just, I happen to be in an ecosystem where my environment is a big tailwind. It would be a big headwind if I tried to be in the social network business. Okay.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: Um, Totally makes sense. I've always said that uh, people,
1: um, you know, the environmental will is much more powerful than in anybody's individual will. Um, So really, um, yeah. yeah. And so I've always moved through my later adult life thinking it's like, I want to make fewer decisions that involve a lot of individual will. And I really want my individual will merely to just choose environments and Mm. not, you know, North. i love that it's I like i love that it's like i don't want to use bandwidth on details i need to use bandwidth just on like macro context and just really trust that those wins will provide the details that need to be provided given teams are working on and so forth but i realized one of my gifts is the more i'm in tuned with the details um, my macro skills are atrophying and i'm not really Ask, I'm not really sussing out where I think my exponential growth is really going to occur, which is like jumping into contexts that are really expanding exponentially.
0: Um, so, um, can, I'm, can I can I just can I just say that uh, what you just said are lessons that I actually primarily learned in martial arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, pr- pr- principles over tactics generally speaking, right. And the understanding the skills are perishable. I mean, you know, like you, you just said something I think a lot of people do not understand, which is skills are perishable. And the decisions you make with your time about what you're going to spend your time on, what skills you're going to develop come at the cost of some other skill, either that you potentially could learn or that you previously learned and you're not maintaining. So we just have, we're not like these skill accumulation machines where they just stay exactly at the highest level you ever got them. That is just not how it works. That's so
1: how not it works. That is so well said. Yeah. So, so there's an opportunity cost when doing X, you're not doing Y. Yes. And, and that, I mean, B's and that these skills do atrophy over time.
0: Yes. Which
1: which I think one of the more moving parts of our earlier conversation that we had was around this idea of how you've become so comfortable with disruption, and we were talking about how like you just love innovation, um, and it's almost second nature to you, and yet there's a part of you, Marcus, that recognizes that the bulk of the world does not frame its existence in terms of innovation, so that when this stuff comes at the rate that speed that it's coming it can feel a little overwhelming, right? I mean, it can feel really overwhelming to throw a bunch of 60 year olds into a digital medical platform and says, oh, there's nobody to answer your call anymore. You gotta get all your questions answered through a chat box. And if you're 65 years old, you're like, what? Uh, So I I just use that example because you're in the healthcare context, but I think let's zoom out even beyond healthcare Let's talk about this. I mean, I'm like increasingly fascinated with this concept of innovation. I think it's tied to my interest in how to be relevant on my back 40. And uh, just this idea of how do you build in innovation as just a frame of mind, as a, 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 mo- a sense of flow and motion, as opposed to Uh, fearful of the change or lost or a lost of what we had. I mean,
0: so like, I mean, how do you go about it? It's a practice. It's like everything else. It's, it's a, this is a perfect continuation off of the, the, the small conversation we just had. Um, The only way that you don't fear it is you do it. And, um, you know, one of the, we didn't talk about this last time, but I think recently I, there's not a whole lot of benefit to worrying about things. Okay. This is one thing I can't quite shake my concern about my worry about is uh, this, this Moore's law kind of pace. Uh, and I know you said no inside baseball Moore's law is just sort of the, the increasing, you know, uh, speed with which processors, computer processors are, 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 are able to process information. Um, mm-hmm. And the you know the answer is it's exponential, uh, and and innovation has uh, has gone along at the speed of processing power, right? So uh, to give an example of that, uh, AI and machine learning is only possible because of processing power. So if you think about all of the things that we're now thinking about shifting off to computers, this is only possible because computer processors can now crunch information so fast, so much data so fast um, that they can start to kind of get. To the point where they can do the same things that humans do. All right, so that th- this processing power thing is is uh, is a, an important analog uh, in in this conversation. I I see that the innovation, the rate of innovation and the rate of disruption is starting to uh, even really outpace people that I. I know who are innovators, okay? If you're in the venture capital business, you are constantly looking at disruptive and investing in, right? So you're fueling innovation and disruption. So that's a really long-term scalable way sort of where you're sort of beyond your youthful energy of like doing it. It's a long-term scalable, sustainable way to play in the game, but guess what? Not everybody can play in this game. It's, you know, capital allocation is uh is a very, very, very uh selective game in terms of who's been allowed to participate in it. And I do feel when I look at all of the things that are happening in the world, um, bioengineering and technology, uh the, the the financialization of everything, you know, uh, and how it's just it's creating massive disruption everywhere. Uh, blockchain, um, these things are are all you know AI. These things are all leading to a very very different world, and we don't have a great narrative for it, and so I feel that it is going to displace. So many people, just in terms of their sense of being grounded on earth, <laughs> you know and uh, and it's it is a concerning thing to me because I feel that if you are not practicing it, it's difficult to not feel like you're being subjected to it or you're being disrupted by it. And uh, if it seems that the natural response of humans would be to revolt. Or or to start to decide this innovation or disruption is in fact bad or maybe even evil, right? Like if if there's no adequate narrative for it, we'll make one. Sure. You know, sure. We, we will make one. We'll have to make one because this is the way we understand things as 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 humans. And uh we're getting to the point where the innovation rate and pace is so fast that we can't apply a proper narrative to it. So this is something I I, I I, worry about. I think I already, I, I think I provided the answer, which is how do I do it? I practice it. That's a, it's a very simple answer. And the the more precise answer is I practice it because I'm a venture capitalist. That's my, I have the privilege to practice it, right? And I have the privilege to practice it in a very, very sustainable way that is not taxing to me other than my mind has to constantly be expanding to new ideas. Like that's, that's the most taxing thing I have to do, right? is like listen to people and they tell me about a brand a brave new world and i'm like holy cow what what? say that say that like three more times you know what i mean um that's the extent of this of my struggle and then i put money in and then maybe i make a bunch of money from it right you know what i mean um i'm not working a job that's like threatened by it yeah and this is this is this is a concern
1: Well, how's one? So, two questions I have for you. Since you have this vantage point, like what would be your narrative if, I mean, you were a benevolent king and then you had the opportunity to establish the narrative um, or at least put forth a narrative to help people feel um, rooted in in this innovation, this convergence of AI, the Internet of Things, uh, blockchain technology? that's one, the narrative. The other part is, is that you've talked about practicing it, practicing it, but I mean you're practicing it like you acknowledged from a capital allocator perspective, which is like a 1% of 1%, maybe right. that of the population. How do people who aren't involved in capital practice it so that they can feel rooted and not disconnected and can, you know, and belonging to a larger community?
0: Well, um, you know, I talked about the fin- the financialization of everything, and what's great about that is what I do as a venture capitalist is becoming more and more available to every single person. Um, the ability to invest capital into whether it be buying tokens of a blockchain or it be um, and I'm not a financial advisor, so this none of this is advice on what to do. But I'm saying the the capability to invest in private companies, um, because of Jobs Act and and, and other SEC you know uh, uh, regulatory changes that that have been happening. You know now companies can raise five million dollars in, in crowdsourcing. sourcing. Um, these things are becoming more accessible uh, to the general public. And that's good. And so that is a way. That is a way that you can still practice it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you're you're putting capital on the line, well, okay, putting capital on the line generally requires making doing some research. Okay, doing research helps you to frame better where the future is and, and what these things actually do. And yeah, I mean, you're in the practice of it. Or um you can be a founder and start a new company, right? I mean, that's another thing you can do to practice innovation. Um, The things that are not really practicing innovation uh, are simply working a career in a company with no side hustle, um, where you're completely dependent on the job as the company has defined it for you for uh, for your livelihood that is not practicing innovation Um, and uh, and we and here's the thing we have a whole lot of people in our society that that's what they do Um, and they do that because that's what we told people to do for a very very long time Um, so that's where that's where a little bit of my 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 concern lies what well, makes sense how about that first part of the question about like what
1: would be the narrative that that would that would help people create coherency around this
0: so i think it's not so much what would be the narrative but where is the narrative coming from uh and and the narrative has to come from our leaders and and I believe are, are political leaders because they can not just provide a narrative, but then they can uh draft policy reflective of that narrative that will actually change people's lives. Um, right. So, you know, you would have a narrative that would result in economic policies, policies around changing education, um policies around uh evolving you know, criminal justice, uh, you know, as we gain deeper understanding about marijuana and psychedelics and things of that nature, right? I mean, you would be evolving policy with your understanding of where the world is going. I think this is fundamentally one of the biggest concerns is that uh, our, our lawmaking apparatus is so antithetical to the pace of innovation. I mean, it's like, you know we're arguing about how we can deal with filibusters i mean you know what i mean like this is like really crazy stuff um in 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 an era where one of the richest people in the world is talking about going to space like you know what i mean like like we're just we just have vi- we're just having two very different conversations going on yeah. uh and 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 our, our our lawmakers are not in the right one they're in the wrong one Mm -hmm. um they're in the wrong conversation so yeah i mean i think i think you can come up with any narrative as long as it's positive and inclusive but the key is who is coming up with the narrative you know if the narrative is coming from the private market it's an inadequate narrative because the private market exists to serve shareholders Mm -hmm. so it's not comprehensive right it doesn't it doesn't benefit us all as a, as a community, as a society, as a nation, as a, as a world. How much of it? How much uh Since, since you have this vantage
1: point and this uh, perspective, I'm curious on when you say, "Were there's a convergence of technologies as a result of this processing power that's going to lead to a type of world that we're nowhere near." Um, ready for or even like likely to be able to understand to some extent because it'll be so much different than the way we're experiencing life now. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work from my assumption that I have that undergirds that response. And I want you to sort of flesh it out. One is, is that I'm guessing is that all these technologies are benefiting from almost every aspect of life being turned into bits of information, data it, it, You know, in essence. And data, unlike the analog world of time and space, doesn't have limitations to its expansion. It can just sort of expand exponentially um, without any real cost. Like, I mean, the marginal cost for adding data is much smaller than in the analog world. Somebody has a gas station. Wants to add another gas station. Well, that's a, you know, that's a big ass uh, cost still, even though it's slightly less than the first gas station. still a lot this world that we're entering into now has a legacy like shit cans the legacy cost structure and yet it just explodes onto the consciousness all of this possibility um now i mean that's what that's what i'm hearing and seeing and then when you shared what you just shared it's like i don't know what that world looks like either so but i think you have a sense of what it might look like even if you just want to ground it in like a healthcare context, I'm just sort of curious on what does Marcus and we'll actually close with this uh, commentary by you. When Marcus looks out 10 years from now, 15 years, you got this 15 year fund horizon, more or less, allocation. that world's going to look much different as a result, 15 years from now. I mean, what do you see at the end of the road, even just sort of paint a picture for us.
0: Yeah. So I think 15 years from now, um, what will, I, I I don't see a tremendous amount of hope for our political apparatus uh, resolving some of its fundamental issues over the next 15 years. So what I think is going to happen is um, we're going to see people really starting to innovate fundamentally on, they're going to start innovating on the private market and they're going to start innovating start innovating on the private market uh, with an understanding that we can't rely on our public servants. And the private market needs to effectively be more enlightened. Um, it can't just continue to sort of be this operating agreement in the best interests of shareholders, no priced in, you know, a lot of what you said is, is, is about cost structure well this is because we don't price in the cost to society into these businesses i think i think we're going to see people say we've got to start price building in the price of the cost on society of the actions of these corporations and then creating products that win in the market with those with that ethos right so it's not enough to say i'm going to create a social enterprise and this is the you know you have to do that, and then you have to win. Yeah, and then you have to win. Um, and in many ways, I actually see this as being, you know, the most true to the most true to human history path to resolution. Um, you know, politics is an invention this is not necessarily like a true to human form um and and we are constantly seeing all the flaws in every political system that we come up with right but competition is is pure competition is pure um and competition with the right motivation is powerful and i think if we can take all this incredible power that we have put into innovation and disruption and put it into evolving what the private market should look like and evolving what a company should look like and evolving how a company should serve it's society and how it should price in all the external costs that today it doesn't have to factor in at all. And then those companies start developing at a critical mass where they start having better opportunities to win in the market. Like we've got to we've got to turn over this current class of companies because they're they're they can't be changed. They can't be changed. We need a new generation of companies to beat them, right? To beat them, but that are much better citizens of the world.
1: What a great place to um,
0: end, Marcus. uh, Where can people learn more about you and your work in the world, Marcus? Uh, MarcusWhitney.com. Pretty much on all the social networks, Marcus Whitney. Thanks. Well, I mean, thank you so much for uh, joining us
1: today. And I mean, wow, um, I was really moved by um, what came up, and it just felt like a really uh, solid flow between you as uh, as a soul in a body, um, and then um, as a father, and then as a uh, and then as a as a capital allocator. But you also are um, an ecologist to some extent because um, you know I really got the impression that you really uh, spend a lot of time and effort in trying to understand how all this stuff is connected whether it's whether it's history, culture, technology, capital, um, you know all the various scholar you know scholarly disciplines, whether it's psychology or whatever it is um, and just really appreciate the way that that I mean you helped um,
0: you know, Help,
1: help me understand
0: in terms of connecting all the dots. Well, thanks. It was a fun conversation. I don't get to have this kind of conversation. Thanks. for providing the space and, and the inspiration to do it. Well, oh, great. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.